0: In the short story, How Much Land Does a Farmer Need, a farmer is really dissatisfied with the amount of land that he owned. He would often boast and brag that if he had more land, he would be content and happy, and he wouldn't even fear the devil. Unbeknownst to him, the devil was listening. One day, he was presented with an opportunity to gain and to receive some good, fertile land, and his eyes got the best of him. But there was only one condition to receiving this land, and it was this. This was the condition. He could have as much land as he could walk within a day, so long as he returned back to the starting point by sunset. Motivated by greed, he agreed to the terms. At sunrise, he just begins to just go far and far, and you know, he just sees all oh, this land I could have as my own. Later on in the day, by evening, he can see that the sun is starting to set, and he's pretty far from where he started from. So he panics, and he runs back to the starting point. And as he reaches the starting point, the sun sets. But he collapses and dies due to exhaustion. His servants bury him in a grave, thus answering the question of the story. How much land does a man need? Only six feet long to be buried in. We live in a world where people are rarely satisfied with what they have. You see, we want the latest, the biggest, the newest. And we think, if only I had, then I would be happy. I would be content. You see, far too many people's happiness is contingent upon wealth, possessions, status. You see, we want more, and we have a jealous attitude of what other people have. Why can't I have that? I deserve that. And if we don't control this jealous attitude, it can hurt ourselves, and oftentimes we can take from other people to get it. It's this idea that, this is mine, this closed fist, and I'm going to grab more and more to try and be happy. The classic example is two toddlers that are playing with a toy. They each have one, but this toddler sees that the other one is having more fun with that toy. And so he takes that toy from the other one, and now he has both, and no one's really happy. You see, when we learn to be content with what we have. We have a grateful attitude for what we have. And it typically results in being generous and we share with others in need that what I have is ultimately a blessing from the Lord and I'm going to be a good steward of it. You see, if we don't control our desires, we're selfishly motivated to acquire more and more rather than spiritually motivated to do good with what we have to help the needs of other people. If we don't control our desires, we're going to continually seek more, rather than being spiritually motivated to help other people with what we've been blessed with. Today we're concluding our series looking at the Ten Commandments. It's been this series of back-to-basics, what God asks of His people And you see, God loves his people. And like any good parent, he's protecting the Israelites from something that is harmful. He's not restraining them from something that is good. He's trying to protect them from something that is harmful. Deuteronomy 10.13 reminds us that God's commands are ultimately for our good. And so our topic this morning is this. We're seeking to overcome Coveting. Overcome coveting, this idea that I want what they have, and I won't be happy until I have it. A side note, I do have permission to say this from Pastor Scott. There was a mistake in the preaching last week, and so this morning we're just talking about the 10th commandment. So we're just talking about coveting this morning. So let's ask the Uncomfortable question, are you ready? Here's the uncomfortable question. Have you ever felt jealous of what other people have and you wanted to have it? You ever felt jealous of what other people have and you wanted to have it? For instance, they have a brand new car and yours is held together with duct tape. Their house is to die for and your roof is leaking. Uh, Their spouse is amazing and mine's a piece of work. Don't look at... their teeth are whiter and I'm missing a few teeth. They, grow, they go on two cruises per year and our vacation is going to the Micmac Mall in Dartmouth Crossing. It's this attitude that I want what they have. I want that. And if I have that, then I'll be happy. And you see, God wants to replace this harmful attitude because it's all about me. Satisfy my desires, my wants. And left unchecked, it hurts other people to get or replace what we have. And this coveting attitude is not a new struggle for 2023, but something that God addressed with his people, the nation of Israel, many years ago. So let's look in God's word in chapter Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 2, and then we jump to 17. God's word says this. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God. I am the one who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Jumping to verse 17. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor." Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word, and we recognize that all Scripture is God-breathed. And so, Lord, we pray that you would breathe life into us. We pray that you'd use this time to nourish us, to strengthen us, to grow us, to become a more accurate reflection of who you are, and all God's people said, amen. In our passage of Scripture, the Israelites are commanded not to desire nor pursue their neighbor's possessions. To get rid of this envious feeling, this, this greed, this envy, this jealousy, this harmful attitude that I have to have what they have when we have no right to it. We have no right to it. And you see, the reason why God prohibits covening is because at its core, it's a desire to please ourselves, it's a love to please ourselves. And when a community is dissatisfied with what they have, and it's built upon selfish selfish desires, acquiring more, they're more likely to hurt other people and to commit and kill other people for what they do not have. Thus, where we get some of the other Ten Commandments. Lying, stealing, committing adultery, and killing. You can make the argument that coveting is at the root of a lot of sin. That is caused in this world. You see, Jesus boiled down the Ten Commandments into one. He said to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus boiled down the commandments into this love God and love your neighbor as yourself. When we covet what others have, we're not loving them, we're not even respecting them, but we're selfishly seeking to please ourselves. We're seeing them as someone to gain from rather than serve. We're viewing them as someone to gain from, to please ourselves rather than to pour ourselves out and to serve them. Therefore, if we truly want to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves, we have to deny ourselves. We need to learn to become selfless. So today we're going to discover that if we want to overcome coveting, it has nothing to do with pursuing success. It has nothing to do with acquiring more possessions. Instead, coveting is defeated by learning the attitude of contentment in your heart, which brings us to our main point, which is this. We overcome coveting by learning to be content with what we have. We overcome coveting by learning to be content with what we have. God makes it clear that we protect ourselves as well as respect other people when we're content with what we have, when we're satisfied that God has given me everything I need and I don't need to covet. I don't need to desire what other people have. And so before we go any further, let's just get some quick definitions here. Coveting is a strong desire to want something different than what you have. It's a strong desire to want something or something different than what you have. It's this jealous attitude that they have what I want and I won't be happy until I have it. Whereas being content is satisfied and grateful for what you have. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. God has been so good to me. And because of his goodness, I'm going to be grateful and thankful and generous with what he has blessed me with. Being content is the ability to be happy for what other people have and not desire to have it. A pastor once said, I've heard just about every sin confessed. Murder, lying, adultery, stealing. But in all my years, nobody has ever said, Pastor, I have a covetous spirit. Can you help me with that? He has never heard anyone say that before. It's the sin that no one admits because we instinctively do it all the time. We instinctively do it all the time. And you see, coveting has a pattern. It begins with delight to take pleasure in something. It's something that we see with our eyes, which then births desire, this jealous attitude to obtain that. Mm, I'd like to have that. I think that would be pretty good. Well, it's a lot better than what I have over here. Uh, that's, that's old. It's, it's obsolete. That looks pretty good. That desire, this jealous attitude, which then produces this demand, this action to take it. I'm going to take it as my own and make it mine. The classic example is King David in Bathsheba. One day when he he was on the roof, he delighted in seeing a woman bathing with his eyes. He delighted. He took pleasure in seeing her which birthed a desire. Scripture says that she was beautiful and she was married, and so he had this jealous attitude to obtain it. I want her to be mine. I want to sleep with her. I I I want her to become my wife. And it produced a demand that he told his servants to go get her and bring her back to him. And Scripture says that he slept with her. To delight, to desire, to demand. Coveting has a predictable pattern. Coveting is at the root issue of many sins. Before we steal, we're jealous of what other people have. Before we commit adultery, we lust another person's spouse. You see, typically coveting comes from a heart that is unhappy with what we have. We look at what other people have and we think that it will satisfy us. We think that it will fill that void within our heart and we seek to obtain it. In our passage of scripture, God commands the Israelites when he says, you shall not covet. You shall not covet. Notice what God says, that the Israelites have a part to play in getting rid of this attitude. They are commanded to control their desires. These these jealous attitudes, these harmful desires when he says, you shall not covet. You shall not desire, you shall not long for what your neighbor has. I came across this quote, and initially I didn't know what it meant until I had my dad explain it to me, but for those that are older, you may, you may know this quote, and it goes something like this. You can't stop a crow from flying over your head, but you can stop it from making a nest in your hair. <laughs> what? What? It's this idea that we can't always prevent every selfish thought from entering our mind. But what we can stop, we can stop from dwelling on it. We can't stop every selfish thought from coming into our mind, but we can stop from dwelling on it and to get rid of it. 2 Corinthians 10.5, the Apostle Paul says, take captive every thought. And what do we do with it? we make it obedient to Christ. We take captive every thought and we make it obedient to what God demands and asks of us. It's this idea that selfish thinking leads to disobeying God, but right and pure thinking leads to obeying God. You see, God understands the struggle to covet and to control our thoughts, but what he prohibits is the Israelites from desiring things that are not their own, that are not their own, that God hasn't blessed them with, that they have no right to, longing for someone else's stuff to be their stuff, because it reveals the deeper issue, which is this, they're discontent, they're unhappy, they're unsatisfied with what God has given them, they feel as though they've been slighted. That person is getting so much better than I. God, I've been doing pretty good. I've been following you. I'm, I, I think I'm doing pretty good, but yet it seems though this person that everything's just going well for them. What about me, God? Left unchecked, it develops an attitude of jealousy, resentment, harmful thoughts, words and actions towards our neighbor and to God. Why can't I have what he has? I deserve better. I deserve more. Don't you love me, God? You seem to love this person, but where's my blessings? Where's your goodness in my life? When the Israelites covet what their neighbor has, they communicate that what God has given them isn't good enough. When they covet what their neighbor has, they're communicating to God, God, you're not good enough for me. What, what you have and what, what you have given to me is It's not good enough. And you see, when they do that, they forget what God had done for them. I am the Lord your God. What did I do? I brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. God's been good to them. God has been incredibly good to them. You see, what we really deserve is nothing from the Lord. But it's all because of his goodness that we do you see it's easy to see how selfish and ungrateful children can be you know they're happy with their present until their sibling or their friend gets something bigger and newer and better suddenly their toy isn't good enough and they say it's not fair it's not fair which prompts which prompts parents to talk about starving children in africa I wonder how many times God has a similar thought. How can my children be so dissatisfied? How can they be so ungrateful with what they have? How can they be so discontent? 1 Timothy 6.17 says that God richly provides us with everything we need for our enjoyment. God provides us with everything that we need for our enjoyment. And so what is it that we often covet? Notice how many times the word neighbor is mentioned in verse 17. Your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, servants, ox, donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. How many times? Three times in one passage of scripture. It's interesting because this is very intentional because coveting begins at home. Coveting begins at home. We rarely covet things that are far away from us. It's the things that we see every day that bother us. And we compare it to our own, our neighbor, what we see every day. When God says, our ha- when he says, don't covet your neighbor's house, he's talking about the size, the features, the location, the appliances, the amenities. When he's talking about the spouse, he's talking about how, you know, you covet your neighbor's spouse. Oh, oh, they're so much younger, or they're so much prettier, better looking, they're smarter, They're, they're more outgoing, they're more attractive, they're more supportive. Even if we never touch our neighbor's spouse, Jesus associated with inward lust to committing adultery. It's a sin that emotionally we are leaving the one that we are pledged to. Servants. That in most cultures, having servants meant that the household was doing really well financially. In modern day, it could take the form of keeping up with the Joneses which refers to that our neighbor is the benchmark to life, that if they have a better car, I'm going to get that car. If they have a bigger house, I'm going to get that bigger house. It's just continually comparing and trying to have, and it's the benchmark of what other people have. This ox, this donkey, refers to service animals. It refers to their livelihood, their job, that a man with several ox and donkey could create more income and more wealth because they had more at their disposal. Coveting the work animals meant that we're dissatisfied with our job. We're dissatisfied with our livelihood. We're dissatisfied with the amount of money that we earn. And then God just encompasses it all. He says, anything, anything, anything that belongs to your neighbor, that whatever is in their possession Do not covet it. You see, God prohibits the Israelites from coveting what their neighbor possesses because it seeks to find fulfillment in the accumulation of more rather than being content in the one who provides. It seeks to find fulfillment in the accumulation of more rather than in the one who provides. The first time that we see someone coveting, it's in the book of Genesis. When Satan deceives and convinces Adam and Eve that God was withholding something good from them. When he, provi- when he prohibited them to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Scripture says in Genesis 3.6 that when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and Pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. This pleasing to the eye, this desire, this wish for, is the same root word for coveting. Eve saw something that she didn't have, she thought God was withholding something good. She saw that this could give her something better, more, wisdom. And she desired to possess it. And it ended up destroying her life and her family when she took it. She coveted what God said they could not have. It was not rightfully theirs. She could have eaten all the fruit in the tree. All the, sorry, all the other um, fruits from the tree. Scripture says that in the Garden of Eden, it was beautiful. It was perfect. God had already given them everything that they needed, but when they said I couldn't have that, that's exactly what I wanted to have. And at birth, the desire to take it, which led her to sin and disobey God. And this is the idea. Coveting may begin inwardly, but it manifests itself outwardly. Coveting may begin inwardly, but it manifests itself outwardly. James 4.2 says, You desire, but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You see, the world tells us to look after, number one, to please ourself. Do whatever is necessary to get what we want, even if it hurts other people. Whereas wisdom, being content and satisfied, ask God for just enough. Just enough. And that God will supply exactly what I need. Proverbs 38 says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me just enough to satisfy my needs. Give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me just enough to satisfy my needs. It's this idea that if I have too much, I may forget God. If I have too little, I may be tempted to steal from other people. So give me just what I need today, Lord, and I will be content. I will be happy. I will be satisfied. You see, coveting finds security in our possessions. Coveting finds security in our possessions. Jesus said, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. The context to this verse is that a foolish man wanted to build bigger barns. And he wanted to fill them more and more and more. Well, I ran out of room. What am I going to do? I'm going to build more barns, so I can put more in and more in and more in. Making sure that he had abundance of resources to trust in. Yet God was displeased because he desired to have more. He was trying to be self-sufficient. He was being selfish. He didn't trust God to meet his needs. Rather, he trusted in the accumulation of more. And so it begs the question, What's in our barn? What's in our barn? What do you mean? Well, what are we pursuing? What do we want more of? What are we trying to get more of to feel secure, happy, and satisfied? Our intent might be pure. You know, we're thinking. We're, we're planning ahead. Or we're trying to save for later. Yet sometimes we fail to see we're just as guilty of coveting, and trusting in our resources rather than relying upon God to meet our needs. Solomon said in Proverbs 15:16, Better to have a little with reverence and respect to God than great wealth with turmoil. Better to have a little with reverence and respect to God than to have great wealth with turmoil. One day, a country preacher went to New York City for a trip. While he was there, he saw many things. But when he went to his bedside to pray that night, he knelt down to pray, and he said this to the Lord. I thank you, Lord, for letting me see things. But I thank you even more for not letting me see a thing that I wanted. I thank you, Lord, for letting me see things. Give me eyesight to be able to see the beauty of creation. But I thank you even more that I did not see a thing that I wanted. Isn't that the way that we should be? To see what someone has, rejoice in their having it, and not need it for myself? And so how do we learn to be content with what we have? Well, the Apostle Paul tells us how. When he, he, he was a man who experienced extreme hardships. And he helps us understand this point further in Philippians 4 when he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. He says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, living in plenty Or in want. Notice what Paul said. He said that he had to learn this. Learn this. This wasn't from you know uh, the classroom lecture that when a a professor is saying and the students like, okay, I get it. No, he had to learn this through experience. Well fed, hungry, having plenty, and also being in want that it wasn't always this way for Paul. It didn't come naturally to him. He had to learn to deny himself and learn to become content. To be content when he persevered through different seasons of life. And you see, the, the secret to being content that the apostle Paul found was that he didn't learn to be content in his possessions. He learned to be content by relying upon his relationship in Jesus. Oftentimes we quote Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. But here's the context to this verse. I've learned to be content in any and every situation. And because God gives me strength, I can do all things, not covet the things that are not mine. You see, being content has nothing to do with having a little or a lot, but believing God has given me everything I need. Being content has nothing to do with having a little or a lot, but it's believing God has given me everything I need. 2 Peter 1.3 says, By his divine power, he has given us everything we need for life and godliness. I may not have everything I want, I may not have what other people possess, but I can can be content in every season because I have everything I need in God, and he has given me everything I need to do and to be what he expects of me. We have everything we need to be kind and respectful to other people through God's strength. We have everything we need to be a loving and a supportive spouse through God's strength. We have everything that we need to be a faithful and devoted follower. Why? Because of God's strength. You see, just about everything in life can change in a moment like that, and it can be taken away. But there's one thing that will never change Jesus and His love for you. When you have Jesus, in every season of life, because a content person Trust God to provide exactly what I need. A content person, trust God to provide exactly what I need. Again, listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Hebrews 13:5. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. We can be content because of God's promise that he is always with us. And God will always provide what we need. It's this idea that when we have God, we have all that we need. When we have God, we have all that we need. Philippians 4.19, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. I can be be content because I know that God is with me in every season of life. This all-powerful God, this all-knowing God knows everything about me, and he is more than capable of comforting, providing, and being with me. His grace is sufficient in every season of life. So, Practically, what does a content person look like? Well, a content person is thankful. A a content person is thankful. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. This is choosing to be thankful that no matter what is going on around us in the midst of good or bad, we can find something to thank God for. Having an attitude of gratitude remembering what god has for, has done for us is important because in times of difficulty we can become cynical towards god and say come on god i love what helen keller said that sometimes it's a matter of perspective when she said i cried because i had no shoes until i saw a man who had no feet we can be thankful when we realize how blessed we are, how good God has been to us, we can appreciate and be content with what we have. A content person is thankful, but a content person is also generous. 1 Timothy 6.18 says, Do good, be rich in good deeds, ready to give, willing to share. If you find that you're becoming attached to your possessions, Consider giving it away to someone who needs it more than I do. You know, we're meant to be good stewards, not just hoarders, to use what God has given us to help meet the needs of other people. Mother Teresa said, God gives us things to share, He doesn't give us things to hold. God gives us things to share, He doesn't give us things to hold. When I was younger, I used to get so upset with my parents whenever they loaned our possessions, especially the family van. Oh, so They used to just drive me insane. Got to go to soccer practice. Can't go to soccer practice. Someone else is using our car. I guess I got to walk to soccer practice. Imagine that. I had to use my own two feet. I thought to myself, this is ours. Why are you just giving it away to other people? I was so concerned about our possessions being returned broken that I was blinded to see the needs of other people. I was so concerned about, they're not going to put gas in the car when they return it. Uh, They're going to get a flat tire and then what are we going to do with our car? Rather than seeing the needs of other people and using what we had to help people. You see, little did I know in the moment that my parents were demonstrating a heart that is content with what they have. They were thankful that God had blessed them, but also generous with what they had. They gave to God, and they made it available to other people. Why do I share that? I share that because at times, we can be so concerned with accumulating more rather than seeing the needs around us. Some people have a wrong perspective that what we have is just for me and just to please myself instead of how could what God has blessed me with be used to help the needs of other people. Notice what God says in 2 Corinthians 9, 11, You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. You will be enriched, blessed from the Lord. Why? so that you can be generous on every occasion. So when it comes to what we have, are we content? Are we thankful? Are we generous? Or do we desire what other people have and we're fixated on any opportunity to accumulate more? Oscar Wilde said this, true contentment is not having everything, but in being satisfied with everything you have. True contentment is not having everything, but in being satisfied with everything that you have. So, what have we been talking about? We've been talking about how we overcome coveting by learning to be content with what you have. The point is, we overcome coveting by not pursuing success, not pursuing more possessions and more status and what other people have. Instead, We learn the attitude of contentment when we recognize that Jesus is all that I need and I can be thankful and generous with what he has given me. I had a recent experience with my daughter. A recent experience with my daughter. That was a dirty diaper, by the way. And little did I know in the moment that the Lord was teaching me about being content. Last Sunday, Nora was sick. A sickness that I've never seen her experience, and her cry was just heartbreaking. Ryan and I tried everything we could to try and soothe her, and it just wasn't working. In that moment, I felt prompted to pray for her. And as I prayed for her, it developed into singing the song, Jesus Loves the Little Children. Tears began to fall down my cheek. And as I was singing, she began to fall asleep. that moment it made me realize how blessed I am that even during the hard times of life like trying to soothe a fussing baby that God's been so good to me he's given me everything I need if I didn't love her it wasn't it wouldn't bother me how sick she was and how I wanted her to feel better But since I do love her, it reveals how much she means to me and how God's been so good. Sometimes we don't always see the blessings that are right in front of us. We see them every day, but we're rarely satisfied. Lord help us to see what you've blessed us with, to be content with what we have. When we stop to take a moment and think and remember how good God has been to us, we can be thankful and we can be generous with with what we have because God is good. The older I get, the more I realize that the things that really matter in life don't have a price tag on them. It's family. And God's been good. Jesus, we thank you for... Who you are In every season of life, Lord, you have been so good to us. Though, Lord, we may not always understand why we do go through seasons. God, I pray that we would look to you as the source of our strength, that we would trust in you, that we would be satisfied in you. Jesus, I pray against the harmful desire of coveting. To desire something that is not ours when we have no right to it. To be content with what we have. And I know, Lord, that stems from a secure relationship found in you. And so, Jesus, I pray that you would infill your people with who you are. To deny self. To be spiritually motivated rather than selfishly motivated. To do good and to help Help other people with what you have blessed us with and we will make sure lord to give you the thanks and praise that you're due i'm doing this as an expression of god's love for you god loves you god loves me and he has been so so good lord we thank you and we praise you in the powerful name of jesus and all god's people said amen